asked for somebody to replace me as the teacher on Sunday morning. I haven't heard from the elders at this point, uh, but I hope in a, after next week that they have someone. <laughs> so we'll be finishing up, I believe, next week, uh, the book of Leviticus. For today, turn to Leviticus chapter 23. And as we open our session, let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for the book of Leviticus. We are thankful for all of these things that were shadows, types, analogies that apply to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, dear Father, for that. We ask that you grant us your favor this morning as we study through this book and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think about the books that we have been through. Um, Corinthians, first and second, and then the book of James, and then Hebrews. And how all of that related much to the book of Leviticus. And this morning, uh, um, I want to remind us of the fact that um, you will remember the two disciples after the resurrection on their way back to Emmaus, where they lived. And as they walked along, Jesus came alongside. He, they, he supernaturally prevented them from recognizing him, according to the scriptures. And he asked them what they were discussing. Of course, they were discussing the resurrection and they, didn't, they weren't fully believing it at this point. But they were reporting what all the things that had said, been said by the, uh, the ladies that saw Christ, uh, by the uh, reference to the angels at the grave, and a number of other things. But they were not rejoicing. They were sad as they spoke. And Jesus came alongside and said, what, what are you talking about? And why are you so sad? But then after they explained it to him, then he said, oh, foolish men. <laughs> um, how long will it be, I guess, I'm paraphrasing, uh, before you t understand what the scriptures said about me and why these things had to be? And then it says he expounded to them, all the, beginning at Moses and through the prophets, he expounded to them all the things that applied to him. Wouldn't you have loved to have been at that lecture right there? Oh my goodness. Um, uh, it says in all the scriptures. Of course, it was a bit of a distance back to Emmaus, so I guess he got a chance to, to do all of that. You can be sure that one of the areas that he spoke of was Leviticus. And because of its importance to the Jews, because of all the things, you know, at that time, um, the Jews were still observing much of what we're going to study today in chapter 23 and following. The, the feasts and so forth. And yet Christ has come. Christ has died. 
now has been resurrected. And things are changing rapidly. And Jesus is expounding to them the things that spoke of him in the Old Testament. And uh, because there was no New Testament scripture at that time, by the way. Uh, uh, and so I'm sure that he must have spent some time in the book of Leviticus explaining how those things relate to him as Lord and Savior. What uh, this morning as we wade into this, I, I once, uh, uh, so let me continue something just for a moment. I've called this our series of studies here uh, in Leviticus, the gospel according to Leviticus. And I, uh, earlier on, uh, um, Matt might remember, we were trying to were brainstorming some titles and I uh, had considered the road to Emmaus. But I didn't do that. That would, uh, uh, but you see the connection that I'm making. The New Testament, Christ talking about the Old Testament beginning at Moses, right here, and all through the scriptures, the prophets and so forth. They speak of Jesus Christ. And if anything I want to get across or finish with at the end of our study in Leviticus is that everything, everything, all of the feasts, all of the sacrifices, all of the offerings speak of Christ, Christ, Christ. And again, Christ. It's about him. And we, it is hidden even to us sometimes. Hidden in types, hidden in shadows, hidden in the things that are written here. Hard to understand sometimes. But I don't want to be like those two disciples where he says and he chastises them and says, oh, foolish man, the heart of heart. <laughs> well, how long before you understand? Uh, I want to try to understand what it is and how it speaks to Christ. Now we have, we're fortunate we stand this side of the resurrection on the on the. Uh, this side, they stood on the uh, opposite side. Christ had not yet appeared. Indeed, the prophecies concerning him were still somewhat mysterious. Not even explicit necessarily, but typified in much of what we've been studying in the book of Leviticus. But it's, he has come. We are going back and we're looking at these things in the context of, of uh, uh, Christ's appearance, res, uh, uh, his sacrificial death, prophesied in the book of Leviticus, and his resurrection, also prophesied in the book of Leviticus. All of those things are here. And we hope that, uh, that we've been able to draw at least some of it out. I am not uh, uh, claiming to be an expert on the book of Leviticus. Lord, help me <laughs> to understand it. Uh, 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 so this morning we're going to be talking about something that is more, hmm, 
I won't say common, but uh, uh, recognizable in chapter 23. We're going to move through quickly. We're intending to be done by next week, Lord willing. And if the uh, elders have somebody to stand in for me after that. Um, Chapter 23, let's read it a little bit. This is about the feasts and the uh, uh, convocations that the Lord has commanded of the people of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Convocations means large meetings. These are my feasts, the introduction. And then he says, six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So the first thing he opens with in these feasts and such is the Sabbath. It's a, uh, by the way, it's going to be expanded upon later on in this chapter to different kinds of Sabbath. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in Hebrews chapter 4, if you recall, where the scriptures say there, whoever the writer was, he who has believed doth enter that Sabbath. So the Sabbath here is, uh, we'll go back to Israel, but the Sabbath rest in which you do no work is for me, at least, its fulfillment was and is, continues to be, Jesus Christ and him resurrected and faith in him. I have entered the Sabbath rest. I no longer claim any works, but by faith and faith alone, I trust in him. That is the Sabbath rest, I believe, and what the Sabbath portrayed, what the Sabbath showed forth, what it was a shadow of, the work of Christ that would give rest from works. Thank God I have rest from my works. Uh, one of the, uh, for those of you who have gone out and witnessed to other people, one of the first things that you will encounter is the very notion, which is very human, I might add, uh, the notion that uh, being right with God involves doing the right things, behaviors, and, and works. And that, that most people think that that's what gets you in right, uh, right relationship with God is good works. But that is not a biblical notion at all. It doesn't apply here. It doesn't apply in the New Testament either. We're saved by faith and faith alone. But it does take some kind of debate with uh, sinners over that whole notion. They believe that it is good works. I did. Before I was, I used to boast about, I'm probably better than most of you Christians. Yeah. Uh, but works is not what it's about. 
And the, the same thing is portrayed right here. But the first day is the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath. It is a uh, holy day for the Jews. Not for us. I know it's too late for me to engage in the debate about Sabbath and the Sabbath rest and all those kinds of things. Um, what is the Sabbath rest? I believe it's faith in Christ. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Those are the things. Enough said. But six days work shall be done. For the nation of Israel and for the people in the wilderness, there was a rest involved. And it was a, uh, as for them, it was a, a well-needed rest. They were trying to uh, eke out a living, living in tabernacles. We'll talk about the Feast of Tabernacles in a few minutes. In the wilderness and trying to eke out a living. And so uh, uh, these six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of Solemn rest, a holy convocation. Not just a rest, but a holy convocation, a meeting of the group. You shall do no work in it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So that's the first feast and uh, convocation that he speaks of is the Sabbath. Verses four and five. These are the feasts of the Lord. The holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month of, at twilight is the Lord's Passover. The first really uh, celebration or whatever is the Lord's Passover. Of course we know, uh, everybody knows, even our kids know that the Passover portrayed God's passing over. If you put blood on the lintel on the doorposts of the door, the uh, Spirit will pass over you. And indeed, it did. On the 14th day of the first month is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. If you remember, as they came out of Egypt, the, uh, they ate unleavened bread. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So all of this is tied together to portray the deliverance of the, of the Israelite people from Egypt uh, into the promised land. On the first day, you shall have a holy convocation, a meeting. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation, and you shall do no customary work in it. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Did you get that? It's the day after the Sabbath. You shall wave the first fruits. What's the day after the Sabbath? The first day. 
of the week, what we call Sunday. When Christ appeared, he is the first fruits. Christ the first fruits. It's pretty straightforward in that particular one as to what it represents. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. And then it goes back into that whole thing, have, have, showing forth Christ as the uh, sin offering. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah, or ephah, however you pronounce it, of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. A hen, uh, it's hard for me to describe. It's a, it's a jug about yay tall. And it's about one-fourth of that that would be involved. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain, verse 14, until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So it is the feast of unleavened bread and then the feast of the first fruits. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. What is 50 days? What would that be? For those of you who are students of the Holy Scriptures. There we go, Pentecost. As a matter of fact, the, the Greek word in the Greek translation is Pentecosti. It is the Feast of Pentecost, of course, when the promise of the Holy Spirit fell upon the people. And hallelujah for that, eh? What a wonderful, uh, uh, when you think about it, but here he is establishing that whole thing for the nation of Israel, which they are to repeat over and over and over again, anticipating the Feast of Pentecost, the real Feast of Pentecost. Interesting stuff. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, verse 16, and you shall offer a new grain out. You shall bring from your dwelling two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah or ephah. Uh, they shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. Did you get that? We always, uh, there's a feast of unleavened bread and everything, but here it says they shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits of the Lord. Usually, uh, uh, just put it in a kind of a plain way, the unleavened bread was uh, something made in haste as they came out of Egypt and so forth. And God didn't want them to forget that. So there's the feast of unleavened bread. But when they come into the promised land, you can 
book with leaven. If you will, it's the completion of the whole promise. And all of this is portrayed in these feasts. Uh, and it's the feast of first fruits, the feast of weeks, uh, that is uh, Pentecost. And then there's a feast of trumpets at verse 23. Let's turn over there. We skipped a little bit, the first fruits, and, and you can read that for yourself uh, regarding their uh, uh, portrayal of that. And they're, um, in verse 22, let's start at 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. When you reap, nor shall you gather any gleanings from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. I wanted to include that because it involves a person by the name of, or we saw it by the name of Ruth. Yes. She went into the field to lean the corners. And that's how she got involved in the whole process. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, verse 24, saying in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. What took down the walls of Jericho? The blowing of trumpets. It's interesting. I'm not saying that there's a direct connection there, but it is interesting, isn't it? They marched around Jericho how many days? Seven days. And then they blew their trumpets and it crashed in. No small meaning here. It's pretty big stuff. You shall do no customary work in it. Uh, on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. That's verse 25. Verse 26. No small thing coming up either. Also the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day. It is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. Cut off from his people? Pretty important, wasn't it? That's rather steep penalty. If you're not afflicted on the day of atonement, doesn't it speak to unbelief? Of course it does. To belief and unbelief. And any person who does any work on that same day, the person, that person I will destroy from among his people. I mean, it leaps off the page to, for me. There's some pretty severe penalties here. Cut off from his people. I will destroy from among his people. Verse 31, you shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. 
It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. That is, you shall uh, 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 deny yourself the pleasures and ordinary pleasures of life. On the ninth day of the month, that evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. You do know that the Jews reckon time from the evening hour, six o'clock, um, to the next day. They didn't start like we do in the mornings like we do. Verse 33. Feast of Tabernacles. We don't speak about that too much. Um, uh, Speak to the, uh, um, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, the 15th day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. It was still being observed when our Lord was here in the first century where people would come to Jerusalem and, and, and erect uh, uh, tabernacles, little shelters, we would call them. And they stayed in those um, um, for seven days. They observed this. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work in it. For seven days, you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary work. And at the eighth day, eighth day, eighth day, what's that? Sunday. I don't know. Um, significant to me, I think. It's a sacred assembly and you shall do no customary. These are the feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim uh, to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering and a grain offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything on its day. What in the world is the Lord just as an aside? What is he doing? We're going to talk about the Jubilee, the year of Jubilee and all that kind of stuff. And it, but it all relates to God wants his people, Israel, to look to him for sustenance in every regard. After a while, he will insist that the land lie fallow for a whole year and nobody plant anything so that it has rest. But you also lose a year's crop. Or at least you think you do. But the Lord said that he would make the crop before that an abundant one that would carry you through that fallow year. Hmm, interesting. But indeed, the land was to have rest. Verse 38, the... These are the feasts of the Lord, verse 37. Verse 38, besides the Sabbaths of the Lord, it was every week, besides your gifts, besides all your vows, and besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. These are extra. On the 15th day of the seventh month, verse 39, when you have 
gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. So a week kind of blocked in between Sabbaths. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and the willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord for seven days. Sounds like a wonderful time. Now, we're having a wonderful time today. This is the fellowship luncheon that we have, and we should do so with the same sort of uh, joy that, uh, uh, that these folks had. You shall keep it, verse 41, as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. I'm going to leap to a, a place because I, I'm engaged in a, a, a discussion with some Jewish folks on Quora. We're far from over in that discussion. And I asked them about this. I asked them, do you guys keep the Feast of Weeks? You know what they say? Those were symbolic. <laughs> I say, yes, they were. <laughs> but not for Jews. They're supposed to keep them. They have reduced these things to kind of meaningless services and stuff like that. The fact of it is they no longer do these as they're outlined in the book of Leviticus. They just don't. But you'll, uh, uh, when you argue with them or when you debate with them, they'll, they'll make a case that they're keeping in line with the book of Leviticus. I say, no, you're not. And, uh, uh, but they, they get all kind of bent out of shape about that kind of stuff. All of these things, these are the uh, uh, feasts, the celebrations, the holy convocations that God is demanding of his people Israel. Remember, they're still in the wilderness. They have not yet entered the Holy Land. And so he is giving them instructions about how they're to live in the future and all those things you should dwell in booths for seven days verse 42 all who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths temporary shelters to bring to mind the temporary shelters of the wilderness trek that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. Now I suppose that uh, one of the things that we could possibly do, have done here is to hand out a, a thing on the Jewish calendar and all that kind of stuff. But I think you get the message, and I decided not, uh, not to do that kind of thing. Uh, uh, but we see the 
calendar, the Jewish calendar taking shape here, uh, having to do with the convocations, the holy uh, meetings that they had, the feasts that they did, the symbolic things like living in tabernacles and the like. All of it beautiful stuff portraying that which was to come in the future. But having accomplished its purpose in Christ Jesus our Lord, all of that looking forward to Christ Jesus, I have to remind you of uh, Hebrews chapter 8. With the appearance of Jesus Christ, the one who said, you have heard that it has been said, you shall not murder. But I say unto you, even if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you're guilty of murder. Who made up those rules? My, my, my. Jesus Christ. He is the lawgiver. He is the law. He is the one that fulfills all the things of the law, including all of these things in Leviticus. All of this is portrayed to us in these sort of ways and to the Jewish people at the time. Their task was much greater than ours. We have insights into what they all meant and how they were fulfilled and everything. But Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of this. Now, having, having fulfilled all of that, fulfilled all of that, Hebrews 8 says that the law is now obsolete. You don't have to keep the festival of tabernacles or any of that, or at least not literally. But there is a way in which we do. We celebrate a kind of rest, don't we, when we proclaim our faith in Jesus Christ by faith alone. Somebody wrote something on Facebook, I think, that I really appreciated. Uh, it's still one of the major issues in witnessing for Christ that by faith alone we are saved, not by works of righteousness. But there's still a lot of un, uh, uh, misunderstanding of that concept. Let's hope that we can make this clear and we not read into this any kind of obligation that we have to keep the literal feasts that the Israelites were to keep. They were Israelites in the wilderness. There was a reason for these things. And the law was that which we were turned over to until what? Until Christ appears. He has appeared. He has fulfilled all the law. And we are free. We don't have to keep these feasts. We keep them, how? Like the Sabbath? I just already explained in my understanding of it, and I, you know, I'm not requiring it of you. 
in my understanding, I have rested from my works in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in him. I celebrate the perpetual Sabbath by trusting in Christ. That's my understanding of Sabbath. What its fulfillment was. It was a day of the week in those days. But for me, it's a status of faith. I rest in him from my works. I don't know about you, but I almost said hallelujah. <laughs> I, I rejoice in the pure simplicity of the gospel. I love it. And I think that, uh, uh, that we try to communicate that simplicity when we preach Christ to those who are unbelievers. We try to not make it complicated. And sometimes the feasts and all that can be a little bit complicated, but rather to keep it simple. We are, by, we are saved by faith and by faith alone in Christ alone. And that's a wonderful circumstance, I believe. Wow, I didn't even get to Leviticus 25. I intended to, but I didn't get there this morning. Uh, so, um, it's something about, it, it's not as important as what we just read, the, the calendar of feasts and uh, celebrations that Israel had. These are an expansion on that, and it talks about the year of Jubilee and all that kind of stuff that plays a role uh, uh, in explaining Christ and his ministry and so forth. Very interesting stuff. We'll get there next week. I'm hoping to finish it next week. So we might condense it somewhat. And so we get to chapter 27, which is the end of the book. Now, I'm, uh, uh, as I leave, um, uh, after next week, I hope uh, that somebody is ready to step in for me. Um, uh, I'm really regretting not being able to go to the book of Romans. <laughs> I was looking forward to that, uh, uh, to that study. But it looks like we're not going to be able to do that. Uh, so, but nonetheless, I do want you to know I, I love to teach the word of God. I hope that, um, that uh, God uses me in some way to influence your views of him, of, of his work, and what these things in Leviticus mean regarding our, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we conclude. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice in the Old Testament. Even the Jews don't really spend much time here, but they spend time elsewhere in the Old Testament. And we pray, dear Father, that we will not miss out, that we will understand that these things being written here regard you are regarding of you and your ministry and your purpose and your appearance just as you explained to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Help us, Father, to preach this truth still as we go forth preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. Bless then, Father, this study 
to our hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.